Good evening. I appreciate your braving the cold to come out tonight. This would be a great night for a nice hot cup of coffee, I think. Um, my name is David Nethery. I'm with Arts Incubator of Richardson, and on behalf of AIR, I would like to welcome you to the third in the series of airtime presentations for this season. This is the tenth season of airtime, and a reminder that all of our airtime events are podcast. So when you ask questions tonight, David will be repeating your question for the benefit of the podcast. Uh, also, for the past nine seasons, podcasts have been downloaded in 135 different countries. So you do have an opportunity to go back and hear uh, some of the past presentations. The um, airtime is sponsored in part by a grant from the city of Richardson and also underwritten by Eric and Deanna Weiss with Wealthstar Advisors. And I've, I've started us just a little bit late because of the weather, but I'm going to stop talking, turn it over to David Fisher so that we'll have plenty of time to hear the guests tonight. Thanks. Thank you, David. Welcome to season 10 of Airtime presented by AIR, the Arts Incubator of Richardson, in partnership with the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema in Richardson, Texas. It is November 12th, 2019. I do believe it is about 28 degrees outside. So yes, it is indeed a great evening for a nice warm cup of coffee. Um, so please help me welcome our guests for this evening, Kyle Simmons and Kevin Sprague from the Noble Coyote Coffee Roasters. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. So obviously we'll be talking a lot about coffee and your experiences with coffee, but actually before we get into that, what did you what what did you do in your lives before coffee actually became a central part of it? Well, for me, I uh, I didn't really do anything food related or coffee related. It was um, it was industrial rigging for corporate events, so a lot of uh, management of people and long hours, long eighty hour weeks, and uh, that's kind of the the quick of it. Uh, that's. Is that what you wanted to do when you grew up? I mean, did you be a no, rigger? It was definitely or? nothing that I wanted to do uh, as my long-term... That's all he uh, talks about. Yeah, yeah, right. That's not what I wanted to do uh, as far as my long-term goal of, uh, of uh, my, my passion, I guess. It was uh, something that I, I... I started that just to pay bills and to make money, whereas I, in, in a, I got into a coffee roasting... Just by chance, my wife had bought me a, a little small tabletop home roaster, and uh, that was in 2003, and that kind of begins the journey of it. Uh, did that, and then uh, throughout the years, traveled around, you know, all throughout the U.S., meeting different roasters, and they were gracious enough to allow me in to see their operation, talk to them, ask questions about anything coffee-related, and uh, that's kind of when we decided to launch this uh, this business venture in 2011. So uh, that's kind of the short answer, I guess. If it's Great, great. And you, Kyle? Yeah, I, I kind of did like the classic millennial thing and went to a lot of school. 
and then um, tried to get a job. And it worked out, you know, just okay. Uh, my job before I was working for Noble Coyote, I was actually working in a manufacturing plant. Um, and I was the kind of the, the process writer. So you would have essentially like um, chemists and engineers who would come up with the products and they would say, oh, this is how we need to make the product. But being chemists and engineers, they're not like super great at communicating to your like average guy who would be on the factory floor. And that's where I kind of come in, where I can take the instructions that they write and it's super technical and I can kind of distill it down into everyday language. So I got hired on in that capacity and I was at that company for a couple of years, but kind of towards the end of my tenure there, I was like, I, I don't like the products that we're making. Uh, it, it, we were making food products, so we were making um, actually aloe vera juices and we were making um, other products made out of aloe vera. So it was kind of a cool company to be working for because it was like aloe and all the aloe was grown here in Texas and that was really neat. But the products ultimately, I, I didn't really like them. And it's really hard to work somewhere where you go home at the end of the day and you don't want to actually consume the thing that you're making. And so during my couple of years there, I got really into coffee because I, I had kind of gotten into coffee, but then I had all of this time uh, when I was like sitting in my cubicle and like hating my job to actually brew coffee. And I would actually send Kevin and his wife, Marta, um, who's here, um, I would send them like pictures of like, hey, here's that Guatemalan coffee that y'all roasted last week. I'm brewing it up in my cubicle right now. And they thought that was hilarious. And I was like, no, I'm serious. I'm brewing it right now. And, uh, and we kind of like started kind of talking a little bit. I'd go and like bug them when I knew they were at like farmer's markets that they couldn't leave. I'd go and like talk to them for like two hours about like water chemistry or something. And then uh, finally I was like, oh, I have to quit my job and go work in coffee because that's what I actually love. And so I did that. And uh, I came to Kevin one day and I was like, Hey, do you know anyone who's like hiring baristas or something? I have zero experience, but I would love to try. And uh, I think it, he sent me to a couple of places, and then like a, like two days later, he was like, "Hey, are you still looking for a job? Because we could use someone to like help out around the roastery." And and the rest is history. So you obviously both have a. I mean, you started with this home roasting. You in your sad cubicle. Um, what is it that you? What is it about coffee that sparks this passion? What? Why? Why is it not wine or candy or cakes or pie or which are all good? Which, which are all, all very those. good, right? I but why? What, what is it about, about coffee that, that coffee's I, I, cheaper than wine? <laughs> He's got a point. <laughs> um, no, for me, actually, it was uh, the the chemistry behind the actual roasting process because I like to do cooking. You know, make my own pasta, breads, and I got, I've always been really into that from a young age. Always experimenting, curious about the way things uh, come together, and especially the science behind coffee roasting just kind of struck a chord with me when I first, you know, just did that first batch. You know, it was like, it just spoke to me. 
Yeah, and I I didn't even like coffee until I was like done with my undergrad degree. Um, I drank a lot of energy drinks. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people my age do, you know, like there's a lot of energy drinks. There's a lot of like, uh, you know, amphetamines and stuff like that where we're a generation that kind of like is constantly looking for a, a source of energy, I guess you could say. Um, I... I drank like a lot of energy drinks. I, I even had like, I knew which one had the most milligrams of caffeine <laughs> in it. Um, it was NOS and I drank like two or three a day. And is, it, is that, is that outlawed now? Is it no, no, no. NOS, NOS is still good. Um, it tastes, it ta I always said like, it tastes like sweat, which is what you would want an energy drink to taste like. Um, but no, it, and and uh, it wasn't until kind of the end of college that people were like, you should just drink coffee. It's better, and you're hurting yourself. <laughs> and um, I, I, I just, I didn't like coffee. I, my parents didn't drink a ton of coffee. Um, I didn't grow up going to like, you know, like, like church or anything where like you might have coffee like every day, Sunday or something like that. So... Um, I just had no experience with coffee. And then uh, I, I started ordering a lot of like chai lattes, which which a traditional chai latte doesn't even have coffee in it. It's just like chai tea and steamed milk, which tastes delicious. Um, but I was ordering a lot of those. And then I walked into this cafe in Denton that had just opened. Um, it's called Shift. It's still there today. Um, and the the guy who who opened it, Angelo, he was like, no, I'm not making you a chai latte. I'm going to make you some coffee. Just sit down. I'm not going to charge you for it. If you hate it, I'll make you a chai latte. I'll figure it out. <laughs> but uh, I guarantee you that you're going to like it. And he made me this this one coffee drink. Well, this one coffee. He made three different drinks. And on the first one, he was like, I want you to think about like tangerines and then take a sip. And I was like, oh, yeah, I taste tangerines. And he's like, okay, now this one think like strawberries but like really smooth and I was like ooh, yeah I taste that and on this last one I want you to taste like you know like lemon peel and I was like oh yeah I totally get it and he's like now that was all the same coffee just prepared three different ways and that's what coffee is and I was like oh okay I'll do that now and so then I just I was hooked and I started like buying coffee from different roasters and I started buying all the equipment and like doing pour overs at home and AeroPress and all that stuff. And and then a few years later, I was bugging Kevin like, hey, do you have any work for me? Do you have lemon peels and tangerines? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, that, what's, what's the most elaborate coffee so, you've ever done? So before we get too far, so in, in terms of those energy drinks, how many cups of standard good strong coffee in milligrams of caffeine equals one of those energy drinks? So the last numbers I saw, um, there's about, what, what is it, like 60 milligrams of caffeine? Oh, in, in a cup of coffee? In a cup of coffee? Uh, 75 to 80. So, so 75 to 80. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To start with, yeah. So that would be like two Coca-Colas, I believe. And in an energy drink, in like a 16-ounce energy drink, I think that would be like maybe... 
there's something like a hundred something in there. So yeah, if you drink the whole energy drink, I think you get more caffeine, but you also consume more sugar, more um, all of the other ingredients, and whatever they are. Sweat and sweat. Yeah, <laughs> more more sweat. Um, I would say. Um, I don't know if I can even say this, but like I, I would think that like we will we will we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll ready the editors. Yeah, can yeah. we edit this? And um, <laughs> so, coffee, just black coffee. If you want to just like speed up your metabolism, get some caffeine, and like I, I don't know, just if you want to boost, like that is probably the cleanest caffeine I think you could consume. Um, a lot of the health stuff that used to be kind of against caffeine and against coffee they have recently found was more due to cigarette use like in the in the 50s and 60s that all of those studies were they were like is coffee good for you well all of those people were smoking at the same time and so now that they've kind of gone back and like redone some of those studies they're like oh it was the cigarettes causing the cancer never mind <laughs> so but i think you see that in a lot of products and that's that's kind of where like the food industry is now today there's a lot of things where it was like this is bad for you and now they're like oh no it was the smoking it's never the mind. bacon and the smoking that's <laughs> right for right you. the bacon and the smoking okay so we're way off script but i do i do i just reminded me i once heard that cold coffee the same coffee hot or cold that cold gets the caffeine into your system quicker. Have you ever heard that? No. You, you metabolize it quicker. Okay, well, we're going to return back to the script I, now. I, I've less, never so. heard that, no. <laughs> the, so, uh, so, so the one thing, though, is cold brew. Mm -hmm. Cold brew has, like, almost twice as much caffeine. So if you're getting cold brewed coffee where it's actually never been heated, but it was brewed at like room temperature or refrigeration temperature, that's probably going to have more caffeine. And the, the reasoning behind it is we use more coffee to make it. Because if we made it with the same amount of coffee, it wouldn't have the same full flavor. So we actually use more coffee to get the same flavor. Um, but it's because it has more and because caffeine is more soluble, then it's going to have more caffeine in it. So if you're really looking for cold brew this winter, you're going to get all that caffeine, you know. So I had the opportunity to uh, tour the, the, the shop and the, the roasting area. And one of the things I remember you uh, talking about is the, the waves of the history of coffee dating back to... I expected it to go even further back, but you said World War I was sort of the establishment of coffee as a, an everyday drink. I think that's what you were talking about, right? With the, uh, yeah, in, in America. Yeah, that's... It definitely predates America, but um, yeah, coffee as a drink in uh, the United States of America really didn't catch on until about World War One, and um, and by catch on I mean like become like extremely popular um, and then it, it, it was really just World War One that both of the World Wars really spurred a lot of food innovation in terms of uh, packaging and stabilization uh, so you have a huge push to be able to send uh, uh, coffee overseas really because you need to send caffeine overseas and coffee is a great 
uh, a great delivery mechanism for caffeine. Uh, and so uh, once you start getting all of the troops in Europe hooked on caffeine, they ultimately come back home, and what do they want? They still want to drink coffee every day. So coffee catches on in you know the American factory, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of the first wave of coffee is like your Folgers, your mass production of coffee in America. Does it parallel, I guess I'm, I'm just thinking back to now coffee shops, to restaurants and diners and more dine-out options? I would say I probably the first wave is, is way more home-based. Okay. You had a lot of people brewing coffee at home. Um, and then you had like your diner coffee, but that's really only in the big cities, um, where there are diners, you know, the traditional like diner car mm -hmm. diners, kind of like the movie we'll be watching tonight. Young Kevin Bacon's in it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so. And what are the, what are the other waves of coffee? So, uh, so the second wave, you want to talk sec about second Yeah, wave? second wave would have been with, uh, the start of Starbucks in 1971, uh, three guys and I'm drawing a blank on their names, uh, they started it as a way to really push the movement of original coffees. Um, so they would bring people into their shop there in Pike's Place down in Seattle, and they would have them come in, and they didn't have, from what I've read, is they didn't have to-go cups. They had porcelain cups, so you couldn't leave, so you had to actually talk to them about the coffee. So it's kind of educating people. It's the worst it's the coffee experience. <laughs> Why is that? Having to talk to your barista. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of what pushed the second wave uh, up until, I guess it would have been in the, when would third wave, which would have been the next one coming after it, that. It's like late 90s. Somewhere maybe, that. Some, some, uh, there's probably people that would be like, oh, it was the 80s. Yeah, I the don't definition, know. true definition of it, but that's where it got even more pronounced and strict, you know, single origin, single farm down to, I know where this exactly is coming from. We can go to the point and find it. And that's this farmer, this particular lot, this small micro lot, uh, be it single varietal or, you know, a mix. So Is that the wave we're in now? Yeah, we're, we're kind of like in between third and fourth wave coffee. Um, people aren't, you know, overtly... Uh, outside of the industry talking about fourth wave coffee, but it's definitely like kind of on the rise and the discussion has begun about, um, you know, kind of where we are as an industry. So if the third wave was all about um, popularizing where the coffee came from and a focus on ethical trading, um, you see things like fair trade come out of that. You see um, like organic certification, stuff like that. Um, starting to think about where does your coffee come from? Who makes it? Not just your roaster, but, but where does your roaster get it from? And, and how can I, as a consumer, you know, contribute to this, this value chain of coffee and um, make the world a better place at the same time? That's kind of the third wave. And the fourth wave is, okay, but are you really doing that? Um, it's really digging into, okay, this, this coffee roaster says that they practice ethical trading. Well, what does ethical trading mean? 
And that's where what what a company says, what they actually put into writing, really starts to take hold because people start saying like, well, they, they say that they do nice things and that makes me feel good because I also want to do nice things. But are they really doing nice things? And, and that's where the fourth wave is really about transparency and how do people like put action to the words that they say. It's mostly organic. It's organic-ish, <laughs> yes. So um, when I visited, I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of beans, coffee beans in the shop, but yet you... Maybe even thousands. Are there thousands? There I'd... could be. <clears throat> um, but you referred to yourself as, as a nano roaster. So, I mean, a tiny roaster. How, how big are the bigger roasters? Uh, so the... Someone on our level is like fifty to sixty thousand pounds a year. Um, someone that's like becoming like a macro roaster would be a hundred thousand pounds and higher. And that's kind of you can definitely ima just imagine the amount of uh, volume that really is. And that's just we're at a small level, so it's weird to think how big a big true production house is. What would it's, one Starbucks branch go through? Uh, I mean. <laughs> Like so, so the scale that Starbucks is on, like it, it doesn't even really make sense to talk about it in pounds roasted because they own, like, parts of countries. <laughs> so, so just like for perspective, um, uh, does anybody here like Costa Rican coffee? By show of hands, okay, yeah. So Costa Rican coffee is pretty tasty, and if you've had Costa Rican coffee, most likely it came from the Terrazzo region. And Starbucks owns 20% of the coffee production in Terratsu. So if you live in Terratsu and you're a coffee producer in Terratsu, you are extremely affected by Starbucks. And likewise, Starbucks really, I think, I, I don't know if it was it Starbucks that really popularized Yerga Chefe? Uh, I was, I've always thought Sumatra, but not really. Uh, yeah, Yerga Sumatra Yerga. for sure. Yerga Chefe, possibly. Yeah, there, there are certain regions that, um, and, and, and to be clear, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, but large companies have a way of like, you know, if they're going to buy something and sell it, like it's going to become top popular. And um, it, it's just like, what, what is the impact of that? You know, if, if you purchase a large coffee farm and then are producing a large amount of coffee from that farm. Um, and that's, you know, all of a sudden people know the name of the place that it came from. That sounds great. But if you also lay off 80% of the workforce while you do that, well, that sounds not so great. Um, where's the balance? I, I, there's, I have no way of saying, like, I'm not an economist or I don't know who is even responsible for making those decisions. But um, yeah, that, that, that is part of like the pleasure of working for a small company is we're not on such a scale that we're affecting like global change, but a whole bunch of small companies could do that. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're all focusing on just making the best decisions that we can, we wind up doing good. That's marvelous. That's marvelous. So what does a typical day or week 
look like at the shop? Okay, so um, yeah, so starting our day off, we get in there about 7 a.m., start warming up the roaster. We, and that's just a, a, a matter of with our large roaster, we have to warm it up to get it to uh, take on the heat from the beans, or I guess push the heat into the beans. So it takes 45 minutes or so, maybe an hour to get it kind of warmed up. And in that process, what we'll do is we'll come together and we'll cup our coffees. And a cupping is uh, somewhat of like a tasting, if you could think of like a wine tasting, but we cup coffee and it's where we take a small sample of what we roasted in the previous days or day, uh, you know, day or days, and we set the bowls out and we add water to those, let those steep for about four minutes, and then we break the crust that's developed on the top of the bowls, and then we uh, skim it off, and then we slurp the spoons that have the uh, luscious liquid in them. And that's kind of basic, the basic quick part of a, a cupping. So we start the day by drinking coffee out of bowls with a spoon. If that, Don't you want to do that? If <laughs> Sounds great, yes. Um, it, it, it could be worse for us. I, I definitely uh, start the mornings and think this is not too bad of a job to have to, uh, to be doing that. Now, is there a point during the day where you switch to decaf? Uh, no. Never, never happened. That, that's just like, mixed in with everything else. It's just, it's, we try to pick the decaf out of the mix. So see who can win that one. Um, and then, and then as we progress into the day, you know, it's, it's setting the, uh, the roast, I guess the, the log of roasting that we've got, uh, laid out and then making all the bags, every, all the bags are handmade. So we have to put those together and everything is roasted per order. So that's not like we, oh, let's do 700 bags today. I mean, when we set it out, every, every, bag of coffee down to the last bag of coffee is going to a destination. That's kind of another feature of, of um, craft roasting is we don't just, we could very easily at the, you know, first week of every month just say, let's roast like, I don't know, four or 5,000 pounds of coffee and then see how well it sells. But um, part, part of it is, is, coffee goes bad over time so if you have coffee and it's been sitting in your pantry or on your shelf for three or four months it's probably gotten fairly stale um, especially if it was pre-ground so one of the things that we do is when people order the coffee we roast the coffee so they get the coffee like very fresh it's going to be super flavorful and fresh for at least a, a few weeks um, up to like, you know, maybe a month or two. Depending on the roast level. Uh, yeah. You know, four or five weeks even on some of the lighter roasted stuff. But definitely look for uh, a roasted on date on a bag of coffee when you look for coffee. that's right. That'll be the key right there. If you can see when it was roasted, not when it's best buy is actually when it was roasted. And then that way you're going to get the premium fresh product. So your shop is uh, just north of Fair Park. Yes, just, just south uh, of downtown is the Exposition Park, I think is the 819 area. Exposition. Come see so us. what is it that drew you to that location? Uh, that, that whole area, I had, uh, I've played music for years in different bands and various projects, and I, I've always enjoyed that area. Um, going down into it, it's, it's got a nice feel to it, old trees, old buildings. And when we walked into our space, it just kind of, Martin and I, it just kind of, we connected with it. So we, we saw it and we were like, Oh, this is it. This is perfect for us. How much of your operation is storefront-based versus 
wholesale or commercial or uh, online? Or? Right, now, right now it's probably, I, I don't know the exact number, I'd say probably 16%, 20% of, of front retail, and then the rest is, is wholesaling now hmm. and doing to retail to cafes and uh, retail to Whole Foods and different realms. So when we were talking, you uh, you described yourself as a guy who knows how to fix things, and you described yourself as a guy who is a teacher at heart. How okay, do, good. I'm how, glad you remembered that. That's good. And, and how do how do those two talents or passions or gifts work side by side in a coffee shop? Uh, I mean, I, I I'm just I teach him how to fix things. Yes. <laughs> right. I think that's the way that's the way it works. Yeah. I, I'm ever at a, at a loss. I just no. Um, it's just really helpful having. I, I feel like in my background and what I've done before has been really useful in kind of the progression of this company as we started it very small. It was just uh, my wife and I started it, and it was just very little. And it's over the years slowly transitioned into this. And when you know, when we started everything, I had to do a lot of the work. We had to do a lot of the work ourselves as far as everything. I mean, different electrical things. This wasn't our that's not the location that you visited was not our first location. We were actually at a different location, but um, learning different things electrically, plumbing, all all facets, design, which you know, there's a whole there's a whole lot that we're not masters at, but we have tried to pull it off the best we can. And if we can't, we have people that can do better jobs than we can. So they they're masters at, at their craft. So it's yeah, and just I don't fix the things. Kevin fixes the things. Um, I uh, I mostly kind of stand back and critique. Um, so, but I I will say that I I don't know how anybody could start a business and keep it going as long as Kevin and Marta have without knowing how to like do some of the work themselves. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean like electrical plumbing you know, whatever, like if, if you can't like do some of that yourself and you're constantly, cause I mean, it's like all the time there's something that has to be fixed. Like if you live in a place, um, you know that something is going to break at some point. And hey. if you work in a business, it's like everything breaks constantly. Anything that moves, any moving part of that, you know, being is going to be, is going to break. It just, it's, the way it, it works. Yeah, and it's like, and you know, it, especially if you work in a food place, it's like, I, I don't know what people are doing in the bathroom, but, <laughs> but like, we have to fix it. They're so testing. they're testing and, us at our skills, really. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, they're like stress testing everything. And it's like, I don't think the engineers even, even like imagined what you're doing. And so, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to to be able to to like fix some of your own stuff. Um, and yeah, if you're thinking about starting a business, I would say like go get like an associates in like plumbing or electrical first, <laughs> because you'll save just so much money. I probably should have done that too, but I didn't. But no, no, definitely. <laughs> some of the electrical, I'm like, yeah, we did it ourselves. <laughs> Um, so when, when we were talking, I think we talked as much about uh, water as we did as coffee. Okay, so... Both, both the water that you make the coffee with, but I was also fascinated by the water that you drink alongside of 
the coffee. Okay, so the rest of this. So tell us about water. I think the rest of this interview is going to be. Um, it's going to be right here, so I'll just go ahead and turn my mic off and <laughs> let Kyle take this over. Because if it's going to be about water, and well, no, I, the, the next about... question is about the name and Kyle. Oh, okay. So we'll, oh, okay, we'll get we'll okay, get back okay. to you. I'll let I'll let Kyle talk a little bit about his uh, his water chemistry. Which, if anybody's got any questions about water and quality, and the, we'll we'll go Q and A. I'm sure at some point, but go ahead, Kyle. I, I should have had them put a syllabus in the menu. <laughs> um, so I. Like I said, b before I came into coffee, I was working in a in a manufacturing plant, and I worked um, in an office. It, I was actually in the quality department, and um, one of my office mates had moved over from the R&D department, so she was a chemist by trade. Um, and she really started, I, it, it was me like trying to get stuff done quickly, and working on like formulations for products and stuff and being like, let's just add it in in the most efficient way possible. And she was like, no, you can't do that because there's chemistry. And if you add that and then that, you're going to make the shampoo pink. And I was like, how? how? And she was like, because of the chemistry. And so she started really like schooling me on all of this like chemical stuff. And I was like, wow, there's something to this. It's like a science or something. And um, when I started like getting really into brewing coffee, I started noticing um, I would go to a cafe and I'd have a coffee and I'd be like, this coffee tastes really good. So I'm going to buy a bag of it. And I'd buy that bag of coffee and I'd take it home and I'd brew it and it wouldn't taste like as good. And I'd say, oh, I messed up. So I would read some stuff online, coffee forums, those exist. Um, I'd brew some more coffee, and I'd be like, oh, it still doesn't taste very good. Even after all your adjustments in grind and Grind dosing. size, water temperature, you know, the shape of the pouring pattern, Concentric circles. all that stuff. Uh, it... And I was getting really frustrated because I was like, man, the learning curve on this coffee stuff is really high. And I guess I just should leave it to the baristas to do all this dirty work. But um, at a certain point, I don't know, I, I think I was just like, people have been making coffee for a really long time. And it would be pretty ridiculous if it tasted really bad the whole time and they just kept doing it. So I kind of think that maybe it's not that hard and something's wrong and maybe it's not me. And I started talking about this with, like, with my office mate and she was like, well, it could be like something with the chemistry. And I was like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, and then a book came out called Water for Coffee, and it was all about water chemistry and how it affects your coffee. And I was like, you were right. And um, so I read that book like cover to cover multiple times, and I started doing all of these experiments with water chemistry. Um, essentially, if you want the short of it, it is um, magnesium, calcium, and bicarbonate. Those are the three things that really affect your, your cup of coffee. The magnesium and the calcium extract acids out of your coffee. The bicarbonate neutralizes those acids. 
you want to have more of the stuff that's extracting acid than you want stuff that's neutralizing acid. That's how you get a tasty cup of coffee at the end. That's the short answer. <laughs> we have three-hour classes if you'd like to sign up online. <laughs> All right, so we'll, we'll, we'll bring you back in. So uh, when I was first starting the research, I was like, coyotes? Coyotes are not, you know, I mean, from the, you know, the border and immigrants and coyotes are not very good people and definitely a bad it's a bad, bad thing but then i was very to read more of your story but i'll let you tell the story tell us about coyotes and noble coyotes and how you got there uh, okay so i i can't take credit for this marta it's actually the the brains behind coming up with this this name but uh it's so in the, in the coffee industry a coyote takes advantage of the farmer meaning cutting them off at getting their coffee to the milling station, so they'll come by and they'll say, hey, you're going to get X amount of dollars or cents for your coffee, or else it's going to just rot here. So you've got no way to get it down to travel the many miles that it might be to wherever the milling station would be. And once they mill it, then they're going to send it off to be exported out. So that's what a, a coyote does. So what we kind of, Martin and I came up with is uh, the noble coyotes are the ones who are transparent in their, their buying issue. Everything we started with was fair trade organic coffee. And now it's kind of pushed a little further now with kind of uh, what Kyle's come up with is more of a transparent uh, operations as far as sourcing, a little bit more history behind, uh, more vetted with uh, these people that we trade with, various producers. And uh, yeah, that's kind of it. That's kind of the, the short answer on that one. Yeah, the, I, I think the spirit of the company really does lie in where the coffee comes from, that, that noble coyote... Um, that, that is the impetus behind everything that we do. Um, and that extends past just, you know, uh, like we said, that that coyote is the person, like, buying the coffee from the farm and, and then selling it. Essentially, buy low, sell high, but with, like, much higher stakes. Um, and, the, like, wanting to work with someone else, not like, well, let's not work with that guy. Uh, that extends past, like, how we source the coffee. It extends to, like, everything that we do. Like, we want to work with people who are doing good things. And we not only just in the coffee part of it, we actually work with some local nonprofits. You may have heard of Cafe Momentum or uh, Meat Fight or um, the MS Society. We work with them. We have uh, donated for their ride every year. We serve all the, the coffee out at that event. Um, there's... Uh, just a local, you know, just different charities, various charities that we work with. If I hope I didn't forget anybody that I'm not thinking of, but that's kind of. And then, and then how we source the coffee too is, um, you know, Kevin mentioned like fair trade and organic, which was how they started out, like everything fair trade. Um, and at a, at a certain point, um, you you may have heard the term direct trade as well which um, implies this relationship where the, the coffee roaster is buying directly from the person that grew the coffee. Um, and that's a very tricky, tricky relationship um, because the fact of the matter is that um, that kind of really, like, sexy picture of, like, you know, the coffee roaster, like, getting up and, like, trekking through the mountains and like meeting the guy who like 
grew the coffee with his hands and has like dirt under his fingernails and they're like I don't know like exchange money or something and then like get coffee that like that just that's not a thing that really exists or I I don't know that it's maybe ever existed um, in a meaningful scale Um, just because you know we we roast 50,000 pounds a year little less than that that's not a ton of coffee but it's still a lot of coffee and um, we have a shipment coming this week that's about 35 bags of coffee out of Colombia um, that coffee probably represents uh, half as many trees so uh, no no that, that'll be 150 pounds times 35 do that quickly uh, so 450 something. Um, so that that's like it's roughly 300 coffee trees. So imagine being the only person responsible for all of those trees and like pruning them and all of that. Like it doesn't happen. And the fact is is that these farms like are thousands of acres, and they're up in the mountains. And the terrain is very difficult, and each tree has to be managed individually. And then all of the coffee that we sell is picked by hand. So each of these farms employs like tens to hundreds of people during the harvesting season to go pick coffee cherries. And then there are dozens of people who sort through those cherries pick out all of the ones that aren't ripe, uh, that are either overripe or underripe, pick out all the twigs and leaves and stuff. And then there are dozens of people who wash the coffee, who dry the coffee, who mill the coffee. And then there's people in warehouses and transportation all over. So it's like, by the time it gets to you, thousands of people have touched it. So like, just the idea that you could do really good things in the world by just doing like, you know, fair trade or organic or or like whatever direct trade is. Um, it's, it's an incomplete idea. And what we try to look at is like, okay, well, what are we really trying to do? And then we dig into these relationships that we have with various people and we say like, okay, how are you benefiting the people that work on your farm. And if they can't really give us a good answer, then I say, okay, well, that's great. We'll um, be in touch, you know? Like what, and, and I don't like just cut relationships, but I look for alternatives because I want people to realize like, you need to be able to tell me like what you're doing. And if you can't tell me what you're doing, then I don't really feel confident that you know what you're doing and you better know that what you're doing is like good for the people around you. So, um, what what is it that gets a coffee connoisseur excited? What's what's coming in the industry? What's your favorite time of the year? What do you look forward to? Are there new blends, new beans, new countries? Well, I mean, it is a seasonal product. So, I mean, depending on certain origins, which we'll be uh, harvesting at different times of the year. So, for us. May and June is a really exciting time for all the Central Americans like the Guatemalans and uh, 
you know, that region and that area. And then, of course, in June and July, we start seeing a lot of the African coffees starting coming out. Um, and then towards the end of the year, some of the South Americans, maybe November, December, that's some really great times to just kind of watch out for. It, that's as far as just the sourcing part. But uh, as far as, like, things that are, you mean, like, like leading an industry, like moving forwards with things? Well, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, on the yearly basis, like the seasonal stuff, it's like, you know, summer when Ethiopians come in, I'm like, Ethiopians are here. Um, and then right now, the, that 35 bags that I mentioned earlier, that's, that's all fresh crop Colombian stuff. So we're in the big part of the Colombian harvest, and then they have a tiny harvest usually in the summer uh, called a mitaka. Um, but then, yeah, like in the in the spring, you'll see some smaller like like Panama and stuff like that. So like, following the calendar, following the harvest cycles is exciting in itself. No, like wanting to see like, hey, there was a volcano in Guatemala. That means the coffee's probably going to be pretty good. Like coming you up know, in the next few years, like is it silver lining <laughs> for the. The devastation. I, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Um, lost my train of thought. Well, it, the the other things like in the industry that are exciting. Um, there's always like like on the competition level. There's always people like pushing for like higher levels of preparation. So on the cafe side, that's where a lot of the like kind of quirky things you see in cafes like. Like when you get a spoon with your espresso shot or with your cappuccino, that comes out of the competition stuff where it was kind of decided that like that's a good thing to do. And now a lot of cafes do that as a standard. So like standards of service get determined on the competition level. Um, the other thing that kind of you start to see on the competition level is like trends in, in where is coffee going to be coming from. So one of the things that I would really kind of be on the lookout for is um, coffees out of Southeast Asia. And um, coffee out of Indonesia has been popular for a while. So that would be Sumatra, Sulawesi, Bali, um, Java. Um, and we love those coffees. But coffee out of China, Vietnam, Laos, Malaysia, Thailand, Thailand, yeah, it's Thailand, really, really. That's all going to become way more popular, especially since a lot of those countries have growing middle classes and they have their own roasters that have been roasting for 10 plus years now. And so you're seeing a lot of like global competitions where some tiny roaster out of Taiwan wins the whole thing. And it's like, do they roast coffee in Taiwan? Yes, they do, and they're really good at it. So, uh, so w what's in the coffee maker's private reserve? What do you have in your own personal stashes? Hmm. Oh man, that's a tough one. I mean, there's a big, uh, there's a big emphasis on things like geisha. You may have heard of geisha beans. It's a very sought after, very fruity, almost bubblegum like. Just naturally, that's the way it tastes. Um, for me, I mean, I feel like I really enjoy like a lot of the a lot of the African coffees that we've kind of gotten into. We're we're stretching 
boundaries on what we're searching for now with African coffees uh, versus what we have traditionally seen. It's been usually Ethiopian, but now we're getting to more of uh, some of these. Kyle's found some really good um, Burundi, some Rwandans, uh, Lake Kivu region, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. That's another great one that you don't see too much of. It's a really juicy, great one. Um, what else is there that's in the the African yeah, line Uganda. of things? Uganda. That's that's yeah. what we've got a really good Ugandan right now that's really nice. Some people can yeah. <laughs> attest to that. Uh, so uh, we have a couple minutes for a couple of questions from the audience. Over here on the right, from my right. What kind, what kind of water should we use if we're brewing our own coffee? Right. Um, so in Dallas, we're on one water supply. And up here in Richardson, I don't know. I don't think that you're on the same water supply that we are. Um, I know the, like Dallas is fed by three different lakes. And so even where you are in Dallas, kind of your water supply will... Switch. Are you in Richardson? Okay. Yeah. Um, Dallas and Richardson. Okay. Even trickier. <laughs> um, so, so what I would say is the Dallas water is typically pretty good for brewing coffee as long as you filter it through like a Brita filter, um, and that's just to remove like bacteria and flavor and odor. Uh, but the mineral content specifically is like okay. Um, I don't, so it's it's really only when you get in like west and, east, well, really Starting like with, outside of Dallas. Yes, Fort Worth, uh, notoriously bad for that. Yeah. And Waxahachie. Um, I mean, if you go to like a, a restaurant in a city and you can smell the water, like either the chlorine or the lack thereof, um, that's not going to be good for coffee. Um Yeah, definitely, definitely filter it. And I would say if you can get it filtered down to like 250 parts per million, um, which you could probably get a, a pretty easy test strip for that from like, you know, Home Depot or wherever, um, that that's going to put you in a pretty good place. There are there are cities like, um, like uh, well, let's say Granberry, um, Granberry, the water is going to come out of the tap around like 800 parts per million. And safe drinking levels on that are going to be around 300, usually, or that's three 350, I think, is what that may be pushing a little high. That may be some well, but. Yeah. So, and the, and the problem with that is like your, your coffee is just going to taste like chalky. It's going to taste roasty, um, even though it's not like dark roasted. It'll taste um, just like kind of gross. And so if you get this where you're you're drinking your coffee and it's tasting like burnt or um, like ashy almost or leaving like a really dry kind of feeling on your tongue and in your mouth, that's usually a sign of your water being too hard, um, having too much bicarbonate in it. And um, the easiest thing you can do there is, is get some kind of like... Um, water treatment in your home, or if that's not an option for you, I'd say like uh, bottled like spring water. If it's just like Ozarka Natural Spring or Poland Springs or something like that, just 
don't, I, I would tend not to go with mineral waters because generally what they do with mineral waters is they take a spring water and they add some bicarbonate to it to increase the minerality and then that's going to make your coffee taste bad. And then whatever you do, don't use distilled water. Right. Yeah, no distilled. So we need to finish up, so we'll do our top ten questions super, super quick. Okay, let's go. All right, number one, pie or cake? A pie. Number two, Eiffel Tower or Empire State? Empire State. Yeah, Eiffel Tower. Number three, the greatest coffee country in the world? Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Oh, production or? No, let's yeah. Number four, Elvis or the Beatles? The Beatles. Yeah, Elvis. I'm going with Elvis. Number five, the one person, living or dead, that you would love to have a cup of coffee with? David Bowie. David Bowie? Just random. Go with it. Go okay, with it. yeah. David Bowie. Sure. Number six, red wine or white wine? Red. red. Number seven, spaghetti or cheeseburger? Cheeseburger. Hatch green chili. Yeah, cheeseburger. Number eight, bitter and intriguing? Or sweet and slightly boring? Bitter and intriguing. Bitter and intriguing. Number nine, craft beer or craft cocktail? Both. <laughs> I'm going with beer. Number ten, the one coffee you would kill to have a taste of? Oh, man. So there was this one, like, uh, there's this one coffee. He talked about geisha coffees, but there there are these coffees that sell at auction every year for like hundreds of dollars per pound. So the one last year sold for eight hundred something dollars for just a pound of it. Panama coffee. Yeah. yeah. And like you can get a cup of it for fifty bucks, but I would kill somebody. And it's brewed with angels' tears. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Please everyone help me uh, thank and appreciate Kyle and Kevin of Noble, Ro Thank you Noble Coyote Roasters. Thank you so much. David's going to come and talk us out. Thank you very much for being here tonight. I've, I've been trying to uh, talk with Kevin for about two years about being a guest here, so I'm delighted this finally happened. Thank you for coming out tonight. Our next airtime is February 11th. Uh, it'll be storytellers. So invite you to that and invite you tonight to stick around for the movie Diner. Thanks.